a story of the missing submersible. So this is a group of explorers, um, travelers that have tried to go down to see the wreckage of the Titanic. Now these are really these are expensive luxury expeditions and that's been uh, that's been a, a, a big talking point that I think people have been focusing on is that to do something like this is not cheap. This is really for the elite. It costs $250,000 to go down and take part in one of these excursions. So we're learning a little bit more about who is on board this lost submersible. Hamish Harding is a UK billionaire. There's a Pakistani businessman Shazada Dawood who's 48, and his son, Suleiman, who's 19. Uh, there is Paul Henry Nargolet, who's 77. He's a diver and Titanic researcher. He's appeared in three different documentaries about the Titanic. He's nicknamed Mr. Titanic. And Stockton Rush, who is the CEO of Ocean Gate Expeditions. Now, at this point in time, there's about 40 hours of breathable air left. So the clock is really ticking on trying to find this lost submersible. And there's all these different theories about what could potentially have happened. And the story is just absolutely fascinating. It's playing out like a movie. I mean, it's so ironic that this submersible is lost to go down and look at one of the most famous pieces of wreckage that's lost in the ocean. But as I mentioned, you know, it's it's really been a big point of conversation to talk about the cost of one of these things. And the idea of doing some of these really luxury, really lavish experiences that are not cheap and not accessible for most people, you know, got us thinking about what else is available for the really, the really rich? What other types of high-risk tourism is there. So we're going to get into it right now with our next guest, who's Associate Teaching Professor for the Adventure Studies Department at Thompson Rivers University, Jerry Isaac. Jerry, thank you so much for making time for the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah, hi, Chelsea. Thanks for having me. This is, as I said, just an absolutely fascinating story. I'm sure that you're paying close attention. What What do you think is so captivating about this lost submersible that's just got everybody talking? Yeah, you know, I've, I've been reflecting on that uh, today and was, you know, there's the obvious uh, echo of the original Titanic uh, sinking of the ship. And I think those elements that were present there when you know there was such media attention to that you know original event in the early 20th century that are here today it, it's this this intersection between advanced technology and uncontrolled natural environment mm. and um, and I think that's really what is engaging we're we're used to things going right in most of our lives and most of our lives are highly regulated and controlled and um, very few of us explore um, environments like this that are you know pushing the boundaries of adventure. Yeah. And no matter what the cost is, it doesn't protect you from forces that are stronger than us, right? I mean, the the number has come up many times, $250,000 to take part in this expedition. And look, I'm not trying to shame anybody or fault anybody for doing that. If that was something that, that made sense financially, I would probably do that. I mean, what an incredible experience to go have. But there are others sort of like this, right? And the one of the passengers, this UK billionaire, Hamish Harding, has taken part in a lot of different types of excursions, sort, sort of similar to this. What else exists for the really, um, for the really rich that's not accessible for most people in terms of these really extreme high-risk tourism activities? 
Yeah, I mean, thinking of pushing boundaries of adventure tourism, something that's uh, coming up and is more publicized is space tourism mm-hmm. and uh, and people going into orbit and, and looking to, um, to go into space. And I think something that maybe we're a little bit more familiar with is um, high-altitude mountaineering, especially on Mount Everest, which can be quite expensive um, to get into, but is perhaps uh, more accessible or at least relatively so. It, it it's interesting because you know on the outset you think okay if I could I would and then you really think about it and you start considering well I don't know if Mount Everest really sounds that that appealing <laughs> what is the rush for someone who chases these types of adventures is it is it to feel alive Sir Richard Branson is quoted as saying that it makes him feel alive to take part in some of these adventures is that what it is or is it the uniqueness of being one of a handful of people that can experience it you know, our motivation for participating in adventure is, is both unique to each of us and also, I think, part of a shared cultural experience um, hmm. in that we, we ascribe values to landscapes that are based on our shared cultural values. Um, so although we, you know, we each have our own motivations based on our personalities and our upbringings and our psychology, um, there are elements to it where there's a desire to perhaps be first or see things that other people have. Haven't. And um, there's a line in Kurt Vonnegut's first novel, A Player Piano, where he writes, uh, out on the edge you see all kinds of things you can't see from the center, big, undreamed of things. The people on the edge see them first. And I think wow. for the people with financial resources, you know, there's a draw. And perhaps that's not for everyone, but as you mentioned, you know, there is a tug. At least part of you is like, huh, I think I might, or I would be at least interested. Yeah, I mean, it's it's there's so much fascination with being able to take in something that so few people have seen. And in a situation like the Titanic wreckage, you know, something that's really just remained untouched and unseen by, by so many. Yes, there's been divers that have gone down and seen it, and, you know, we can see pictures of it, but it's not like actually being there. The experience must be absolutely incredible. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. And, and I think, you know, that's part of it, too. We have this innate desire, I think, as human beings to explore the world. And um, I think that's just part of our human human nature and um, the ability to go and explore and see something that very few people have seen in person. I think that's highly compelling, at least for a large subset of the population. Well, we hope that this story has a, a happy ending. Uh, as I said, the clock is really ticking as we all worldwide have our eyes on this and, and hope for some sort of explanation or some sort of resolution and hopefully really soon. I have no doubt, Jerry, that this is going to, no matter how this ends, and we hope that it's positively, this is going to result in a movie, uh, a docu-series. I mean, this is something I think we're going to be fascinated by for a while. Do you agree? Absolutely. I think, you know, something about this is that, you know, some of our oldest and most widespread stories are adventure stories. And, you know, we're hoping for the safe return of everybody on board. But um, we know that in in human history, uh, our adventure stories are about human heroes venturing into these myth countries or places beyond the everyday who risk their lives. And and I think um, it certainly draws a lot of attention when risk is realized and things don't go as planned. Jerry, thank you so much for your insight and uh, for making the time this afternoon. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Chelsea. Of course. Take care. That's Jerry Isaac, Associate Teaching Professor uh, for the Adventure Studies Department at Thompson Rivers University.